Next Chapter Podcasts. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The 500. The 500. J.A.M. been walking us down. Talking the 500 until the end. Talking the 500 until the end. With my man J.M. On the 500. Talking the 500 until the end. Welcome to the podcast, Scootily Doo, Nigel Blues by Moby, from the 1999 album play, it's number 341 out of 500 on this podcast called The 100. I did pretty good. Dude, I remember when that came out, man, that swept swept the vegan community. Moby, Moby, who is a Toby? How's everybody doing? I'm good. I've got some stuff to tell you about. I will be in Edmonton, Canada at the House of Comedy December 9th through the 9th, either the 13th, that that Thursday through uh, Sunday. And then the next week, I will be at the St. Louis uh, Funny Bone. But it's not at St. Louis, but it's it's the one close to it. It's in St. Louis. It's a Funny Bone. December 20th, I will be uh, doing the goddamn Comedy Jam at the Comedy Cellar. And uh, New Year's Eve. And that weekend, I will be in Vancouver at the House of Comedy. Come all out. Come all out. Come all out. Tickets for all those shows. I want to see all the Fleece Army out there, man. Go to my website for tickets, joshadammyers.com. Follow me at joshadammyers on all social media. And uh, support the podcast at patreon.com backslash the 500 podcast. Uh, We need your money. If you're a Patreon, we will read your comments about each album on the podcast episode with the guest. Questions for the guest. You get to ask. You get to be a part of it. $5 or more. 
$5 a more. Zamora. $5 a more a month. Join it. Moby, Moby, Moby. This is a record that I was not looking forward to. I like a couple songs off of it. But it's on the list. And you must respect the list. My guest today, though, you know his work. If you follow me on social media or you follow the 500 on Instagram or any of the social media platforms, you know my good buddy, Young and Sick, a.k.a. Nick Von Hefwagen. Nick has created art for Foster the People, Maroon 5, Robin Thicke. Uh, T. Mills, Andy Dick, Jerry Stiller. In 2014, BBC Radio 1 called Young and Sick the next hype, and the project was named Stereo Gums Band to Watch. I have his art hanging up in my apartment. He is my buddy. He is so talented on so many levels. He does all the artwork for the 500, and this guy is an incredible artist, musician, and person. He's a dear friend of mine, and I wanted him on the podcast because I just wanted to have fun with him. I just wanted to have fun with a buddy. So he sat down and we talked Moby. This was an incredibly fun conversation because Nick knows his shit. So enjoy this. Rate, review, and subscribe to The 500. Leave us a review on Apple or any of the other places. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Go to joshadammyers.com for all tickets. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan. And for all things 500, go to the500podcast.com. Well, nothing left to say, but here we go with 341 Moby's Place. do. I think, Nick, yes. I think you might be our first guest that, can I say it? Say it, what? That has COVID, as we're doing oh. this. <laughs> you can say it. You I, currently... uh, I texted negative yesterday, finally. Oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I started break. I should have yes ended and told you. I yeah, still dude. <laughs> You're like, I just um, took off the ventilator for this. I finally. <laughs> I, I smoked my first weed today. <laughs> Good. Good. Yeah, you you deserve it. So I, I love so I love how we met. We met uh, to everybody. We really met online. Oh, Raya, um, yeah. Uh, on <laughs> yeah, we matched on Raya. <laughs> um and immediately I was drawn to your art. Immediately I was drawn to your to everything about you, man. I think you're one of the most talented artists working today. Um what do you have going on right now? So tell us everything because you're really killing it in the NFTs, right? That's yeah, that's what I'm mostly doing right now. Uh I, I, I only have one client and it's the 500. <laughs> so, Big, huge client, dude. Huge, client. huge. project. Um, yeah, no, I'm, I've, I've, I've always been making art mostly for bands. And then, uh, and then this NFT thing rolled around that kind of was made for me in a, in a way. So I kind of started doing that only at that point when it started kind of blowing out a little bit. But, but I mean, this, this is, if this is something that is the thing right now, and this is something that you're like really, really doing well with, I mean, it's almost like your art was made for NFTs. When I see what people 100%. are selling, I'm like, oh my God, like young and sick, Nick, you have, you have like, it, it's, it's just everything about it. Like the music I've listened to that you've made, the art that I've seen you make, mm. even just the clothing that you wear is very interesting <laughs> and, and it's cool. I, look, I usually look like a bag of Skittles for sure. Yeah, that is the perfect description <laughs> of you. You are, you are a walking Skittles commercial. Yeah. Um, all right. So, so you're, 
you're kind of like a renaissance man. So besides art, you make music, you know, and when we were talking on that walk, me and you were hanging out and we were talking about stuff and I was like, yo, I want to get you on, man. And I was like, what would you do? And you, and you said, you said Moby play, um, which how old are you, by the way? 33. You're 33. Okay. Yeah. So this came out in 99. Adam 99. Yeah. 1999. Mm-hmm. So you at that time or what? I'm trying to think. 12, 13 years old. I'm terrible. 13, I'd say. I think You're 13 years yeah. old. So, so, so go ahead and tell me, tell me like the first time you heard this record. So I was, I looked up the, the list of like sort of big records that came out in 1999. And I was, it, I was very much in my uh, sort of like, um, so like uh, when, when, the, when the kid in Sopranos, like it's really into metal, like he gets really into new metal in the show. Like that was my, like that was what I was listening to. I was listening to a lot of like corn slipknot shit like that. As a 13 yeah, yeah, year old, yeah. I was just a little Dutch kid in a small town. And so most of the music I was listening to was just very loud, abrasive, sort of new metal. And um, certain electronic records started sort of showing up at friends' houses. Like I, I, I heard this record for the first time um, because I was in a little band. Like we were terrible, absolutely awful band. I was 13 years old. And um, my friend, the bass player, he had an older sister. I think she was probably like three years older than me. Yeah. And if I had sleepovers at his house when we would just played like Nintendo 64, um, in the middle of the night, she usually just like came, like yank me out of the room and take me to her room. And like, we would just like listen to albums and make out. And, wow. and she would just introduce me to like weird, interesting stuff. And so, uh, the first time I heard the movie record was just like in a bedroom with my friend's sister. Wow. Per- <laughs> this is, you know what? It's, I, it's I, a good way to get introduced. To it. No, a hundred percent. Oh my God. Like the album, um, Coldplay XY, even though I heard it before mm-hmm. I had sex to it, I had this one girl in Baltimore, uh, who was visiting from Alabama that I had met at a bar. And then like two months later, she's hit me up and she was like, we never hooked up that time. We just, I just hit on her. And then she hit me up. She's like, hey, I'm in town. Do you want to come hang out in my hotel room? And I was like, oh my God, like, am I just about to get laid? And then we go, and she, I mean, she makes me, she's like, do you have condoms? I was like, what? Oh my, like, what? And then we go back to the, to the hotel room, and she's like, let's put some music on. And she put on XY. Then we, when we like fucked to that record. And now, anytime I hear it, it's like I immediately, right. that incredible night. So, what a great way to listen to this record. Also, playing Nintendo 64 to this, I mean, if there ever was a record that is made for playing video games too, I think this could really, really be in the top three. It, yeah, that, it would be great. But in, instead of that, we were playing Mario Kart and listening to Primus at the same time. So. Dude, <laughs> Which is when, also, it also works. But. Dude, when, when, um, when we used to play Mario Kart when I was away in school, we, we listened to the Hail to the Thief by Radiohead. Oh, and, and that was right. like another record that it was like perfect for that video game. Mm-hmm. There, there's, yeah, there's something about this like, like, like turning off the actual sound of the video game and then putting on music and creating like a oh, score yeah. to it. And I mean, oh, it really 100%. does kind of like, it affects you in some, some weird like, you know, audio visual way. Um, so, so you're listening to new metal, you're listening to Slipknot, you're listening to all that shit. And then Moby suddenly comes in because I would always assume that you, from the music that I've heard you make, it, it's, it's very like, you know, it, it's, it's, it's like almost psychedelic, uh, trip hoppy, uh, mm. new wave. I mean, you, you're kind of like, you're closer to Moby than you are closer oh, yeah. to Slipknot. It just Slipknot. be a really long roundabout way to get there, I guess. So... Um, 
so but, but so the, so how did that change so you hear that and then does that just kind of manifest into into what like I, I was, as I was saying earlier, the list I was looking up of like sort of noteworthy records of that year, I can tell which ones I got from my friend's sister because she also gave me Boko Fish uh, by Underworld. And uh, I guess like two years before that, Prodigy put out The Fed of the Land, which I got from her as well. So like it was sort of, I think the, 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 the through line of these records is that they're sort of... Um, they they're based in rock almost but then they make electronic these people made electronic music but they came from sort of like you know rock and, and sort of more instrumental music yeah um so i think i think i just ended up in this space because it was sort of like an easy slide into electronics with these records like the backs of the world and the and, and this movie record as well yeah it was a really good point you just made so you know this come out in 1999 this is like i started going to raves uh, I think November of 1998 is, mm. is, and I was full on Wu-Tang. I was full on grunge. I was full rock music. Um, and this guy, Tad Cavanaugh takes, well, actually, no, no bullshit. Uh, being that you're from the Netherlands, mm-hmm. um, my first rave experience was when I was in Amsterdam. I was in Amsterdam for about a month because I backpacked through Europe for about seven and a half. And me and my buddy, Joel, it was first place I took ecstasy. And we went to some underground rave, like right outside of the red light district off of like, fuck, like not lead and spleen or is that how you say it? <laughs> the Waterloo plane. Is that how you say it? Lead splain? Light splain. Ah, yeah, yeah. Ah, there it is. So I go to, so we're like in that area, we go to this rave, I take ecstasy for the first time and I hear techno music and it didn't really connect with me i remember i was just Mm. like i get back to the states and i'm like man all i want to do is just take ecstasy and and just and just hook up with with girls i'm i'm 18 19 years old this is like i feel indestructible like nothing could stop me you you never think you're gonna die and so i started going to raves and i remember listening to dance music and and just kind of being like hey it's not really my thing then i found drum and bass oh yeah which to me, was more like the hard rock version of yeah. dance music. But, yeah. so Moby really never made his way into my, like, stratosphere ever. Then, but, like, but, but you made a good point, and that's what I wanted to get to. I'm sorry I'm rambling. Mm-hmm. Um, you made a good point, is that Prodigy kind of came out. And I remember my buddy who was a military dude uh, in the Navy or the Air Force. He, he was in Europe. He was the reason we went to Europe mm. uh, because he was like, if you go to Europe, you'll get laid. And, <laughs> and I mean, you know, you're 18 years old. You only had sex with one girl. You know, you're like, oh my God, really? And I, but I remember nine hours for that. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I was like, and we can drink on the airplane. Are you kidding me? So, so we, so I remember talking to him because he was the one that brought me Radiohead OK Computer. I had mm. known Radiohead, but I had never listened to OK Computer. And then it was, I remember I asked him, like, what else was big? And he was like, dude, the biggest band in Europe is Prodigy. Oh, yeah. Prodigy was, I mean, you're talking stadiums. Mm-hmm. What was that like? What was that like? I mean, did you, did you notice that being in, cause you're, I mean, you grew up in, in one of like, in like basically the, the, uh, the upper 
center no i guess germany's center but like you know netherlands is kind of like an amalgamation from what i know of like almost every culture there's everybody there in the netherlands mm -hmm. like what is that what is that like like what is the music like in that scene i mean you tell me i mean the netherlands has always celebrated electronic music too like a crazy degree and a lot of genres got like founded there too um and they just they still up to this day they just they rave like nobody else it's just it's wild and yeah like the prodigy thing definitely you could see it taking over and then everyone started sounding like it and, and, it, and it sort of carved away for you know i think chemical brothers were i think the first band to ever get a, a record on the radio that didn't have vocals uh yeah. on like on like european radio on like big radio because that wasn't a thing and, and they couldn't i think they were even like snubbed with some like um uh, awards because they were just like it didn't have the 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 right elements that a pop song would have to have but it still was on number one you know so like uh it was wild to live in a, in a country that celebrated electronic music so heavily and like in such a mainstream way um even though a lot of countries were just like this is an underground rave thing that this it's not gonna rise to the top you know yeah um it was it was wild but yeah even even to this day it's just electronic music is so massive in the netherlands it still outperforms anything um and i think I it's think just because they have the best drugs all they're doing is drugs and fucking, dude. Yeah. That's it's, that's it. They're making, yeah. make, making wooden shoes. That's what you guys do. <laughs> yeah. That's what you guys do I better mean, than anybody. And, and making wooden shoes is clearly something that got done the first time on a drug, for sure. Like, oh, dude, yeah. check this shit out. <laughs> yeah, let me walk. Fuck you your wanna, laces. He's like, I bet you can't walk in this log. All right, <laughs> yeah. you don't think so? You don't think I can walk in this log? Uh, give me eight hours. <laughs> this I'm gonna walk my my ass off in this log. <laughs> Um, hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, there's something about Europe that they appreciate music a little bit more than I think the Americans do. I think the Americans, we just go with the pop shit. We go mm -hmm. with whatever's big, whatever's catchy, you know, where, whereas Gangnam Style was probably big around the world. It was massive here, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's just because it's catchy. That, that one in a while. Electronic music. Oh, I think about it every day. <laughs> I, I think about Gangnam's style. I do. It's, it's, I just, I just like sleeping and at like eight thirty in the morning, it's just oh, Gangnam style. And I get up and I'm like, I do try to picture you like that, to be honest, dude. That's how I wake up, bro. 
That's my that's my vibe. Um, but yeah, the, the electronic music is 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 big here now because of the rave scene and the way that the clubs have, you know, in the festivals have kind of pop music has marketed itself into like an electronic fashion. But there there's something about Europe that, like I said, rock. I've said it a million times in the podcast, man. If you go to, I remember when I went to a Tower Records in America and a Tower Rec or a Virgin Mega Store in England, and the bands that were advertised in America compared to the ones that were advertised in England were like night and day. Night Whereas and day. one's pop, and then one's Jack White raconteurs. So you hear Moby in that girls' room. What kind of an impact does it have on you? Does that change the the face of your musical direction immediately? Yeah, I, th- I think so. Um... I, I basically, with her, she, um, she just gave me stacks of CDs to take home in my backpack and then, and then bring back at a later date. And I tried to do the same, uh, not as successful. She had better taste than me. Yeah. But, um, but you know, she introduced me to Jamiroquai and Beck and like sort of weirder things of the same era that just expanded my mind and, and made me sort of appreciate a lot more, more different music. Um, funny thing is that, at some point, I was so as the sister. Uh, she was the sister of, of of the bass player of our shitty little garage band. And uh-huh. the singer at some point randomly broke the news. Hey, you know that um, Nick is always going to your sister's bed bedroom. <gasps> and he, we were like, we were holding our instruments. He like threw his bass down, ran to the to the sidewalk, and threw up. <laughs> Which I think is such an amazing reaction to have to like my. Uh, my, one of my best friends is like messing around with my sister. Um, Hans, if you're listening, I'm very sorry. Of course, his name, of course his name is Hans. Yeah, of course. Of course as his I name said is. It, I'm like, as, I was, as I said it, like, oh man, did I just say that? Yes, his name is Hans, of course. Did, did you guys fight? Um, he did speak to me for a week, and then, and then we kind of just slowly started playing music again. And he would he used to stand on one side of the drum set, and then he stood on the other side from then on. We yeah. were never the same. <laughs> no, that'll, that'll, that'll put a wedge between you guys for sure. But, you um, know, she taught me how to French, so that was decent. God bless her. God bless her soul. <laughs> um, and Hans, sorry, dude. Sorry, sorry Hans. Hans Gruber. That's every time you say Hans, I immediately think of the bad guy from Die Hard. I can't help it. That's how he became uh, the bad guy because that's, that, that, that's his origin story. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. his origin story. I love it. Um, yeah, man. You keep mentioning these bands that are really influential in my life, like you know, like Beck. I mean, you know, the, the late nineties. I mean, it was an interesting time for music. You know, you we mm. talked about this on the podcast before, Nick, about how the death of Kurt Cobain set this course of music that, that just changed everything. Whereas rock and roll became more, you know, like more uh, male driven, more like uh, aggressive. You, that's where you get the corn, you get Limp Biscuit, mm. you get like System of a Down bands like that even though system of down is still kind of very political they're more like rage but um and then like like you know you have beck that is coming off of mellow gold and then he does mutations and then he does this groundbreaking record with odelay which is you know combining in a sense hip-hop would you guys say electronic too like i mean i don't mean there's a ton of sense on there Ton of sense, but it's not dance music. It's no. closer to hip hop than it's closer to dance. 
Yeah, well, and then in 1999, he put out uh, Midnight Vultures, which is my yes. favorite Beck record. And it's also just like, that is that was the one where everything, Odelay was sort of like a setup, I feel, to the craziness of Midnight Vultures. And like, that record is full of genres. It's like, it has funk on it. It has jazz, yeah. soul, it has hip hop, it has grunge weirdly woven into it. It's, it's a wild record. <laughs> we're my dogs <laughs> yeah. Hollywood freaks with the Hollywood scene I mean, that, so might have, that, that album might have the greatest opening lyric to a song ever it's like hot milk mm, tweak my nipple let's <laughs> <laughs> go triple I fucking get into my Honda <laughs> dude that well that record was a big deal because that was like you know when I started going to the rave scene and that that album was like kind of coming out uh, and I already at that point loved Odelay I loved mm. mutations. So, so when, when that came out, that was a big record for me. Uh, and it was something that you could play at like a rave after party mm -hmm. and people, cause it was so techno, it was yeah. so dance music. So, and, and yeah, but Beck was something that was like, he was cool, man. And Beck still mm -hmm. to this day remains cool. Speaking yeah. of which, uh, I should tell this story because it's it's fucking dope. I went to go see Beck at Irving Plaza um, mm. a week mm. ago, last Wednesday, and my buddy Alex Edelman opened for him. And I had bought a ticket, but Alex did stand up. And then Alex knew I was there, so he invited me up to the VIP area to watch. And then afterwards, uh, me, Alex, and these two other comics, we go uh, to the after party. I get to my buddy Sean Lennon is there, my mm -hmm. homie Sean Lennon because I'm on the Lennon Claypool Delirium. I went up to him, we're talking. Really? Yeah, I did voiceover for it. That's amazing. Long story, but, but, oh, dude, it's, I mean, it's, uh, I think, like, track, like, eight on the record. There's these, uh, me and Sean met at a party, uh, my friend Tall had, and we were jamming, and he liked my voice. We were, I was singing, he was playing guitar and stuff, and then he's like, hey, man, he's like, do you do voiceover? I was like, yeah, and he's like, dude, I've got this track with Les Claypool that, uh, we just need voiceover. We don't even know if we're going to use it, but it's these weird, like, uh, you know, what do they call not symptoms, but, uh, when you take medication, what could happen to you? What are they called? Uh, uh, you know, yeah, like, I, I know what you're talking about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. like, side it's effects. like side effects. That's yeah, it. Yeah. Side effects. And that's what it's called. And he goes, it's just really weird shit. He goes, I don't know if we're going to use it, but if, if you want to give a stab at it, you know, Go ahead. And I was like, yeah, dude. And he sent it to me. And I went to my VO department at William Morris and I recorded it. I sent it off. And then nine months later on John Lennon's uh, death anniversary, I texted Sean and I was like, hey, man, just thinking of you today. And he goes, oh, my God, Josh, dude, uh, you know, thank you. But also we used your voice on the record. You're credited and everything. Incredible. So when I saw him at at the Beck show, it was just mm. he's such a fun dude. And then we're mm. all hanging out. And then later that night. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, people of influence there, but I'm like making my way towards Beck kind of talking to this girl. And then Beck actually comes up to me and the girl and I get like 15 minutes to talk to him. And it was cool because it wasn't mm -hmm. like as a fan, it was right. like, it was just like, Oh, you're friends with my friends. So we're cool. And yeah. was such a huge fan of his. So, so yeah. So yeah, I'm a massive Beck fan for sure. So, so yeah. So Beck, you know, the prodigy came its way in there, but Moby, I feel like we got to focus on Moby because that's the <laughs> fucking record we're talking about. Like, so Moby never really made its way into the music that I really, really dug. I mm. like certain songs by them. 
You know, like the one I was listening to as we were signing on the song from the movie Heat. I think it's called God Moving Over Water or something. Mm. Uh, I love that. I remember when Natural Blues came out and being like, okay, you know, this is, this is, you know, this is catchy. Um, What stuck out for you about this, about this album that attracted you to it? Yeah. I mean, I now know that like most of the samples on that record are um, field recordings of Alan Lomax. So they're like old traditional songs that are are put together. I think it's like a seven disc, like compilation set of of old um, traditional songs. And I, I don't know that that sound, I just hadn't heard it before, especially growing up in a small town in the Netherlands, just it, it was so outlandish and weird. And um, I ended up seeing him live maybe like a year later, um, mm-hmm. kind of right after that record. Um, and that the show was just so good. I didn't expect it to be that good. He had a, probably like a 12 piece band that had, he had a lot of singers recently, like singing the, the samples live. Yeah. And, he was way more outgoing and running around than I thought he would be. It wasn't a DJ set. It was like a full live show. And I think that that was like the real impact. I think if you listen to this record, it's kind of weird. I Revisiting this record was kind of crazy because I didn't remember it to be as long as it is. It's 18 songs long. It's long. And, and it's almost like half of it is a sort of weird dance record with samples on it and some of his, his vocals. And then the other half is like ambient, almost like, 80s softcore porn like yeah. soundtracks yeah and so like it's almost like they, they could have been two separate records um one with a bouquet of flowers on the front and the other one the, the play record mm-hmm. um, but uh yeah that that i i didn't even clock that I, I don't think that is something that stuck with me but listening back to it i'm like half of this is just weird ambient stuff and the other half is like pop songs almost yeah i mean what do you got for us, Adam? Play was particularly notable for its use of samples and field recordings collected by Alan Lomax and compiled on the 1993 box set Sounds of the South, a musical journey from the Georgia Sea Islands to the Mississippi Delta. Um, yeah, this is, I mean, literally, this is here. I don't know if I want to give my review just yet, but I feel like I should. <laughs> <sighs> All right, everybody. I think we finally got it. I think we finally got a record on this list that I don't think deserves to be on the 500 greatest albums list. I'm not saying it's a bad record. I'm not saying it's bad. What I'm saying is exactly what you just said. Uh, The songs on this record that are good are really good. Mm. And then you've got a bunch of filler. Like you said. I'm willing to... um... We, we talked about this when we, when we last walked together. So uh, we talked about like uh, the fact that they might not be the best records ever made on this list. And some of them might just be the amount of influence they had. I think that a lot of European electronic music started taking a lot of notes from his sampling. And I think even in hip hop, even in like a lot of different genres, like there was like, I think there's some stuff that he did that I think didn't happen before in terms of like, the juxtaposition between sounds is so on the, on the good songs, on the big songs, on the yeah. songs with the Alan Lomax samples. I think that particular way of like these old Southern songs with his like breadstick, like white, white dude, <laughs> like production yeah. on top of it. Cause it's like, it's always cause he, it's, it, it's not, his production is not funky or anything. It's not, it's not sort of favoring the samples almost. They stick out like a sore thumb, but it kind of works because of that if he was more musical and like more interested, like more interested in 
matching it perfectly, I think it wouldn't work. And I think that's why some of these songs are really good because it's just like kind of awkward the way he yeah. samples and the way it sticks out. So I think it's more like what ended up happening in Europe potentially with like electronic music taking notes. Um, yes, completely. I, I, I can totally see how this record influenced, you know, millions of producers and, and, you know, in electronic music, uh, I don't know if I'm right or I'm wrong, Adam, on this, you might want to check if, if, uh, if this definitely, if samples were that heavy in dance music. Um, but I feel like he took one, like the big song on this, uh, cause there's eight singles, right? There's eight singles, which, is, which a is a lot, which is a lot, some bigger than others. Uh, but there's eight singles off this record that were released and, you know, and then there's a, there's 10 other songs that, you know, can just probably be thrown out. I almost feel like if you just had those eight songs, it would have been a better record. It would have been a perfect 100%. album. Yeah. Then you've got like a record that I'm like, Oh, I get it. Like were there, so were, they weren't sampling like this prior to this well, record. No, I'm, I'm not saying that like, like records weren't being sampled. I mean, the, the 80s hip hop era was obviously like sampling a lot of incredible stuff. I'm, I'm, what is what sticks out to me is the fact that like almost every sample is from that uh, yeah that uh, Alan Lomax compilation set. So it's like more like the, the tone that it sets on the entire thing is interesting. And like up to that point, I don't think Moby was doing really that interesting. His music wasn't that interesting to me at least. Um, and I think this this sort of like broken through because it was so juxtaposition like this juxtaposition was so crazy. I think that, yeah. that might be the bigger thing. Here, let's let's find out a little bit about Moby and then we'll find out about the making of this record. All right. So Moby, uh, his real name is Richard Melville Hall. Uh, born in New York City in 1965, he takes up guitar and piano at the age of nine. Played in a few underground punk bands during the 80s while DJing at clubs. In 89, he makes his change to EDM. 91, releases a single Go. It was his first mainstream breakthrough. He had eight top 10 hits on the Billboard dance charts from 92 to 97. Why don't I know any of them? During this time, he released four records, the self-titled Moby in 92, Ambient in 93, Everything is Wrong in 95, and Animal Rights in 96. And then that leads us to today's record. From 87 to 95, Moby has described his life as a very clean one, and he abstained from drugs, alcohol, and for the most part, sex. Okay. Uh, after taking LSD once at 19, he started to suffer from panic attacks, and he continued to experience but learned to deal with them more effectively. His mom dies of lung cancer in 97. He calls that an epiphany and experimented with alcohol, drugs, and sex. Finally, <laughs> finally. And he, he allowed it back into his Allowed sex. Fine, I, I would say the same thing. Fuck you. Fine, I'll fuck you, okay? It's, I'm experimenting. Uh, he, he did that for four years after his commercial success of play. Uh, he is, you know, created uh, uh, an updated version of the James Bond theme for Tomorrow Never Dies. He had music in Scream. He had a cover of New Dawn Fades by Joy Division. And the song I talked about, the instrumental version of what appeared in Heat. He's a huge vegan, huge supporter of animal rights. Um, excuse me. He also owns a vegan cafe on both coasts. Uh, and a vegan music and food festival called Circle V. So this album clocks in at an hour and two minutes and 37 seconds. This is his fifth studio record. Uh, came out in May of 1999 in the UK and June 99 of, in the US. Previous record, Animal Rights, deviated from his usual electronic style. 
It was darker and more guitar based. It was such a flop commercially and critically, especially among the fans. Moby considered walking away from music. He explained, and this is weird. I can't believe you found this, Adam. I was opening for Soundgarden. Okay. Okay. And getting shit thrown at me every night on stage. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I did my own tour and was playing to roughly 50 people a night. However, positive reactions to animal rights from fellow artists such as Axl Rose and Bono inspired Moby to continue producing music. He got back to work in his Little Italy, New York studio to work on play in the mid-90s, in a mid-97, but had to put it on hold several times to complete touring obligations. After multiple mixes were done, he finally settled on the final one in March 99. He thought this would be his last record. His American label, Electra, dropped him after Animal Rights Bomb, so he had to shop the album around to various labels before V2 picked it up. He faced an uphill battle, as many journalists wouldn't even listen to the album to review it. The first show he played in support of play at the basement of the Virgin Megastore in Union Square was attended by only 40 people. Further damaging the album's commercial prospects, the songs received little airplay from radio stations on uh, or MTV VH1. Management decided to try licensing the songs for use in films, commercials, and TV shows to spark some interest. And by the beginning of 2000, it had worked. It slowly climbed up the charts and remained there for all of the year 2000, gaining the legacy that has us talking about it today. It peaked at number one on the UK albums and UK independent album charts, 38th on the Billboard 200, number one in Australia, France, Ireland, New Zealand, Scotland, top five in a few other countries. It's certified platinum in more than 20 countries and with over 12 million copies sold worldwide. It's, it's 2 million in the US. It's the biggest selling electronic album of all time. Wow. What it says. That is what it says. Good for you, Moby. Moby's noted that he intentionally sequenced the album such that it starts off energetic and then by the end dissolves into an opiated haze. Um, okay. So then that makes sense of why the record kind of turns that way. What's So besides the samples, you know, what what sticks out for you about this record? Like what 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 are the things that that you enjoy most about this? I think just hearing all of that, like hearing how it came about, it's kind of funny because I think if it, if he would have decided to put one of the ambient songs up front, this record wouldn't have come out. I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like if somebody had to just listen to one of the cuts that are just like not as um, as rambunctious, but it, luckily it starts with, uh, I forget the name of the song. I can look it up. But, honey. Um, honey. Honey's yeah. catchy. Yeah, honey's honey catchy. catchy. It's a great start. I think if that wouldn't have been the case, I don't think I would have been into this record. Um, and again, like the thing that sticks out most thinking back to it, honestly, is that live show. Because it really, it, I think it was, it was the same, like a, it was a festival in the Netherlands that um, the headliners that year were Massive Attack, Faithless, I don't know if you're familiar with them, um, and, uh, and Moby, and all three shows were just full band shows of electronic acts. And I think that that is the biggest stamp that I took away from it in hindsight. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's hearing that it took a while for this to gain traction. For me, I mean, it, it kind of, when this really got big, it felt like it was everywhere. It was, it was all over the radio. It was all in movies. It was, it just, it blows my mind that it took a while. Does that surprise you that it took a while to catch on? Mm, I mean, not really. Cause even the big songs, I think 
you still still have to hear them quite a few times before they just really stick. I think especially in like a sort of like in in a, in a bigger way in like a pop consciousness. I, I I'm not a hundred percent surprised that um, this record would take a while to just catch on because there was just not really anything that sounded like it. I think that's that that's also why I said like earlier about like the significance of this record. I think it's because I I don't think there was something like this really in, in that particular sound. No, I no I get that. I definitely get that because, you know, looking back now, it's like, I, I just remember looking at the singles, like Honey, I didn't hear till later. Run On, uh, I didn't hear until after 99. Body Rock, I remember when that came out. Yeah. Um, there were a lot of songs, Body Rock, like the Beastie Boys had a Body Rock song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Why Does my, hurt fe- my Heart Feel So Bad? I never heard that on the radio. I don't think the first song I heard from this record uh, that was played really, and then I started hearing a lot of the other the other singles after that was Natural Blues. That was that was like an iconic. If you say what is the most 1999 sounding song of all time, if I hear that, it immediately takes me back to the year 99, to the year 2000. Uh, Porcelain which the first time I think I heard that was um, in the soundtrack to The Beach. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was yeah the, of course. Uh, that was the Leonardo DiCaprio movie he did after Titanic. It was a big I deal. Yeah, I saw the <laughs> theater, bro. It was Danny Boyle. Um, Southside, I just remember because of uh, how, how gorgeous Gwen Stefani was in the music video. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was also a very, very music video heavy record. I, I remember a lot of this from like watching MTV a lot and then seeing these these videos because his videos were always very good, especially for this record. What was the video for Natural Blues again? Was it was it like it, like can you pull it up for a second, Adam? Pull up the video for Natural Blues because if I remember correctly, it's I think it's like oh, just a good one. Christina Ricci's in it. Yeah. So right now, if, if anybody's not, they're not seeing this. It's just a bunch of uh, elderly people. Uh, Moby being one of them with a lot of makeup on. He's picked up a book that's got his name on it, and it's a lot of pictures of him as a younger vegan. Get to Christina. <laughs> there she is. God, I have the biggest crush on her. Owen Benjamin used to date her and, and he used to bring her to the Hollywood Improv um, and I was like in shock. And now Owen Benjamin is a <laughs> is a right-wing militia uh, comedian that people think is going to start uh, another Ruby Ridge. Swear to God. That's that thing that happened in like, uh, fuck, I'm going to fuck it up. Like Iowa or somewhere that like where they attacked the cops or it's a whole thing. There was a good documentary on it in Netflix, but Owen Benjamin, co- former comic, now uh, right-wing militia. He, he was engaged to her. He was engaged to Christina <laughs> classic, Ricci. Classic move. Classic move. Um, I mean, that's a great song. Classic. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content 
like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of the Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Um, so there's eight singles from this record. What's, what's your personal favorite? I think that one uh, is sort of the most memorable one to me. And I love oh, for sure. That, um, yeah, I would, I would say that's, that's like Body Rock was like a, was a great, like the live version of that. Like when I went to go see it, that was fantastic. Um, but I think that song still is like the most iconic cut from the whole record. That's it. So looking up, let's look up uh, a little bit about Natural Blues. I can't believe this was the fifth single released from the record. This track features vocal hooks sampled from the Vera Hall song, Trouble So Hard. It peaked at number 11 on the UK singles charts. In Iceland, it peaked at number one. Moby said, of all the successful singles on the record, Natural Blues is my favorite. It's, it's quite uh, ethereal and mournful. It almost didn't make it on the record, really. I had some friends over and I was playing them some songs off the record and they thought it was too weird. I couldn't get it. I, I mean, just get rid of some of the ambience. You're like, I, I mean, really yeah, yeah don't, that, put them, don't put the big single on your record. brother. That's, like, that's the shit well, they were probably like, yeah, dude, this like song that just is a repeat of the same thing for the last three and a half minutes. I don't think this, they wanted to make it. Keep this on the record. Uh, so, they, he, yeah. they said they didn't like the they, mix they of it. Afraid, they were afraid that if you put that song on the record that he would start fucking again. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, you, I mean, you can fuck to this song. I mean, you know, it's yeah. just, it, it's just, you know, you're going to. Especially if you're reading. You're gonna, I don't, it's just going to be weird. It's just it's not <laughs> like, there's, there's some good songs to fuck to on this record, which we'll get to. Um <laughs> So like this sticks out to me, honey sticks out to me, rushing if I'm not mistaken, because because my big like entrance into EDM, where I was like, okay, now I'm at raves, I should really start listening to electronic dance music. I got a CD, uh, MTV2 used to put out a CD called Amp. Do you guys yeah. remember Amp? Oh yeah. And I had Amp2, the second one. Oh, that's a, that, that is. There's some great stuff on there. All right. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, you like looking at this list is kind of like this is all stuff that you can lump Moby into. I like Fat Boy yeah. Slim. I can't believe we've gone almost 45 minutes into the podcast and we, we haven't mentioned, mentioned Fat Boy Slim. Especially Fat, this song. Fat Boy Slim, Rockefeller Skank. Th I mean, that like swept the, oh, yeah. you know, the MTV. It was, it was fucking everywhere on the radio. Um, how different is this from Fat Boy Slim? 
Let's talk about that. I mean, Fat Boy Slim, I would say, um, is way heavier to me. Like in general, like it's the, the drums have always been way heavier, and like the, the sort of angry hip hop boom bap that's under a lot of the tracks. Yeah, and I, I think because like it, it's almost like Moby came from a rock background, like being a being a guitarist, pianist, like playing in like punk bands and that kind of stuff, and then going to electronic music, and I think. Fatboy Slim potentially comes, in my, I think, would come from way darker electronics and then went more pop with it. I think he's like a rave guy that went pop. But why is why are we talking about this record and not talking about Fatboy Slim's record? Because I remember the Fatboy Slim record, you know, it's using samples. It's basically doing the exact same shit that Moby's doing. And I think it was just as big. If I'm not mistaken, Fatboy Slim was well, like the, the headliner at like uh, Nebworth. But for sure, the question is, is the, is the Rolling Stones list mostly created by Americans or is it pretty 50-50? It's, it's, like, it's all over the place. It's nothing to do because, with America. Yeah. Yeah, because I would, I would say that Fatboy Slim didn't really get the, the attention that he deserved in the U.S. And like it was more of a European, UK thing, I think. I mean, apart from, if you're talking like maybe like MTV two, but in in Europe it was MTV one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the songs I, were massive. I remember, I remember Fatboy Slim playing the MTV Music Awards. I, I, if I'm not mistaken, he played the Grammys because uh, his music videos I felt were a little oh. bit more iconic. Oh yeah. Than the the Moby videos. I, I couldn't. I thought the Moby video we were we just watched was totally different than the one that we actually just saw. I thought it was going to be. I just remember it totally different. I remember like the Fat Boy Slim stuff. You know, you have. Uh, sure. What was the one? He has the one with uh, not not Rockefeller Skank. The other one where he's got um, he's Christopher got Walken. Walken uh, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like, those are those, yeah. Those are some of the biggest. That's some of the incredible. biggest shit. Yeah, those are incredible. Oh, yeah. And and not knocking. And we haven't talked about like, you know, Chemical Brothers in that in that matter and like Basement Jacks. And like there's there's a lot of uh, acts that I would, you know, also love to talk about in that in that case for sure. It, I think it was just a very good time for electronic music that was kind of sample heavy and like, but yeah, I mean I, I completely agree. I think the the Basement Jacks videos were insane in the songs that accompanied them a while. So, yeah. My first experience with Basement Jacks is Where's Your Head At? I mean, that was, I think that came oh, out yeah. in like 2003, maybe. Um, also that video. Video is incredible. Uh, you know, I mean, looking at this this MTV2 thing, I mean, this this CD, I mean, Battle Flag by Low Fidelity All-Stars, that, that's been in so many movies. I said hallelujah, the 16 blow your bands up. That one fucking ruled. Uh, yeah, what else did I love? I love maybe the most uh, uh, most nineteen ninety eight thing of all time. Sexy boy by Air mixed yeah, by Beck. Yeah, <laughs> mixed dude. by Beck. Now, I remember that, that's, man. That's a, that's a nineties sandwich right there. That Air Air had a moment, man. Air definitely oh, yeah. had a moment. Uh, uh, genius, genius by Pitch Shifter. Uh, Circles by Adam F. Dude, my shit was Brown Paper Bag by Ronnie Size. Like I. For a long time, dude, I used to put on. Your, um, I used to put on new. Going. I used to put on new forms anytime I had sex with a girl while I was in college. It was. It's like perfect, like fucking music. Just, just like real ambient drum and bass. That actually, that album, New Forms, 
uh, by Ronnie Size actually won the American Music Prize in 1997, which beat out, if I'm not mistaken, it beat out uh, Radiohead, OK Computer, and it beat out uh, Massive Attack, uh, Mezzanine, which, you know, which is insane. insane. But but that's also because that record was so different. It was so new. Drum and bass was really taking off. I mean, what, what, what awards do you have that listed Adam? Like what awards this, this record won? I could pull it up in a second. It's kind of scattered throughout, but I'll get it in a second. Okay. While I ask you that, while he looks that up, let me ask you this. Um, because you are a musician as well. You make incredible music uh, and, and your, your art is just incredible. Like does, does the music you listen to influence the art that you're making? Definitely. Definitely. I mean, if, when it comes to the, the album covers that I've made, I would listen to the band, even if I didn't necessarily love the band over and over just to like have it seep into the art and always has to be uh, a part of it. And I, I listen to either music or books all day long while I draw. So definitely it has to sort of coincide and completely changes my mood and what I do for sure. So when you, so you, cause I don't know for everybody that knows this, uh, you actually made the Foster the People album cover for mm-hmm. like their big, big hit. 10 years like, ago. Yeah, you told me you told me that story. Would you tell my listeners like it's such an interesting story about about how that happened? Yeah, so when I was living in my parents' um, parents' house, I used to make a ton of like art for like my friends' bands or just bands that I loved, and I would just send it to them because it was like sort of the, it's the middle of the MySpace era where it, the idea of like emailing or getting in touch with the band just really got kicked up a notch, you know. Mm-hmm. you're kind of able to get in touch with most people and i just started making art for like at that time my favorite band the velvet team out of uh, petaluma uh, california and um and they were managed by by this guy john and he he was basically he got in touch with me he's like hey i love what you did for for you know our, our band and um there's this there's this kid that i that i work with and he's he's your age and at, at that time, I must have been like 17. Uh, and the kid was Mark Foster. And I started just just sending him art for his MySpace. I got pretty decent at customizing MySpace pages. Yeah. to sound ancient. But I would just make him flyers. I'd make him CDs that he would like put his demos on. And he would just go to like little labels too and everything. And then um, like it, at some point I kind of lost touch with him for a bit. And then a year later he came back and said, Nick, I think I wrote a hit. I'm like, all right, send it to me. And he sent me this demo and it was a hit. I heard it. I'm like, this is your biggest song is crazy. Like this is definitely really good. And he's like, yeah, I played it for some people. And I think, I think I'm about to get signed. And, you know, you always did my, my art for free. You always like, you know, help me out with this stuff. Um, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll finally be able to pay you. Like a, I'm making a record. And the, the song was Pumped Up Kicks. And Which was huge, dude. That song yeah, I mean, it, fucking it, it was number huge. one everywhere. Though. Everywhere. Like, and, that, and it's also in a time that indie songs that sort were not getting looks like that. Was, the, 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 the types of bands that would make that kind of music that you get number ones. They, they got an interesting look maybe on, on like a mid-sized festival or like something like that. But, um, it was crazy to see that happen in front of me. And, and he, you know, I still make art with him. and um, We always stay friends. And that was, yeah, it was wild to see someone legitimately blow up in front of you. Um, 
Which, which is, which is so cool. And I mean, to be able, cause it's almost like when you're working as an artist, you know, we all have egos, but we, you almost have to like suppress it just to make the art and just put it out there and just be like, listen, it's like, I appreciate what you're doing. I want to work with you and, and your music inspires me or whatever. And so you keep coming back to that. And from, from what I've been reading is that Moby is basically very humble. He has a very like, you know, uh, very low, low ego, despite all this massive success that he had, which right now, and even with you being that you're having this great moment with NFTs and with your artwork and people, I see these huge comics that are working with you now. And you know, what, like what role does ego play when it comes to your creativity? It, the, the best thing about what I do is that if I'd get a big ego about it, people would be very confused. Cause there's not, there's no way to, there's no way to place my ego. You know, if you have a ton of people listening to you and you go into award shows and you do that stuff, I think it's way harder to curb your ego, especially if everyone, everyone says like, I love you. You're incredible. I don't really get that. I'm just like making art and it's almost the only reaction I get is like on Instagram. And it's, it's wonderful to talk to people. And like, it's amazing that the people that listen to foster people get tattoos all over their body of like the drawings yeah. that I make. That, that shit's incredible. But there's almost like, um, I don't have a public forum to, to gloat, you know? So it's like, yeah. uh, I don't know if, I don't know if I would otherwise, but like my successes are so behind screens and behind doors that it's just kind of, I can I can brag to a friend, but you know it doesn't have the same impact as like big platform to to, to sell stuff. I I personally don't think I have a big ego. Um, I think there was a moment when I was trying to make music and try to make it in music, and little successes came. I think there was a little moment where I could see myself getting an ego, but yeah. luckily I never got big. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for staying indie. Um, <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. I I don't think there's a big I, I see people that have big egos in art, especially like now in the, in the NFT space. And, and, and I tried to sell paintings at some point and I realized that the normal traditional art world is not for me. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Um, I don't think I would fare well. In it. Well, I mean, even with, even with Moby, it's like you, you know, the guy starts doing this, you know, he does punk rock. He moves on from that. He starts working on the electronic music. He's moving on from that. And then he starts doing this record, you know, and I mean, to imagine like people are like shitting on it. Like, mm. let's look at, let's look at some of the, some of the album reviews from this record. All right. So here's some of the nice ones. So according to Spin Magazine, Will Hermes' uh, play was the high water mark for populist electronica and a millennial roots and blues masterwork. John Bush from All Music said it balanced Moby's early electronica sound with the emergent breakbeat style of techno. And Chicago Sun-Times critic Jim uh, D. Rogatis noted its incorporation of such dis... dis Disparate musical influences as early blues, African-American folk music, gospel, hip-hop, disco, and techno, all within the context of his own distinctly melodic ambient stylings. All right, so there you go. You have the good ones. And for the most part, you know, yeah, I agree with that. Here are some of the bad ones. And I love that we do the bad ones, Adam. Uh <laughs> Pitchfork reviewer Brent uh, D. Crescenzo believed the raw magnetism of the sampled recordings was lost to innate digital recording techniques, resulting in music that was fun and functional yet disposable. 
Thoughts on both of those sets of reviews. Nick, what do you think? I mean, I, I get the Pitchfork guy's point of like the fact that the samples were recorded with analog old gear in an, in, in an older time sort of offset it to what, I mean, because if you listen to like the, the, the keyboard sounds on this record, they're pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know yeah. what, kind of, what kind of synthesizer he was using, but they're like, they're, they're very pastiche, like very cliche. And, and I, I, like in, in this sort of 90s kind of way, um, it, and it kind of is endearing to me, but I understand that the guy from Pitchfork is like, yeah, this, this, this sounds, that's what I'm saying. Like the record is the shovel. It's like, it, he's so white that yeah. <laughs> having these like old samples, like offset to it, it, it is uncomfortable. I like, I like it because of it, but like, I completely understand if someone's like, this wow. does not work. Wow. That, I love what you just said right there. Yes. Um, like that's cause that's my next question is, does this hold up? Does this album hold up fucking, uh, 22 years later? Uh, some of it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've been, I've recently been on a kick of like, you know, I think we're all in a nostalgic, more nostalgic mood than ever before because of, uh, you know, the sort of time we're in. I think I see it across the board. I think a lot of people now call it nostalgia, but um, mm -hmm. because you're looking back such a short period of time. But um, I'm looking at what record holds up and like, especially from those eras, there's not a whole lot that holds up just because of the, the recording technique. It's like, it's almost like the, the time of recording, like 70s recording are all beautiful because of the material they were using. 80s recording, I personally am not a big 80s guy because I don't like all the gated reverbs on all the drums and all the, all, I'm not a big reverb guy, I like things to be small and, and, and sort of together. And, but then the 90s is kind of in a way, one of the worst periods because unless like the producer was using old gear, like, you know, like a Steve Albini was using like all the 70s gear to, to record 90s bands. And that's why his record sounds fucking fantastic. Yeah. And, but a lot of the 90s stuff, like, oh, you don't need all this big stuff anymore. Let's like, you only need this, like a small computer, small desk, one keyboard and like this thing. And you can just have a studio in your house. And like, we weren't there yet. So like all those records just sound pretty bad. Um, so do I, does it hold up? I think the singles are still massive. I, would, I wouldn't mind hearing what he would do with it now like if he would re-record those songs how that would yeah. sound with all the years of experience and like but i mean i think does this record deserve to be on the list i think influ influential like how influential it was yes in terms of like that whole album listen i listened to it a bunch the last couple of days like it could have used with 10 less tracks yes completely and, and like maybe or maybe eight last because they're like a, a full 10 in the track list, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but cause like the, 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 if, if the, if the ambient songs in there were intermezzos, they were shorter because they would like lean into something and like for a second to take you out of it and take you to the next one, it'd be fine. But they're just a like full blown, like long, you know? Yeah. It, ambient, and they're just not as good. No, they're not. Cause the ambient stuff all leans on his musicality, which at that time I don't think was amazing. You know, like I think, the instinct of using these samples to make himself sound better were incredible. Yeah, I, I you you said that perfectly. I mean, those eight singles are great. They're great, great songs. Not not all of them are as good as the other ones, dude. Like, like I got to give a shout out because I actually the the song that I was drawn to the most off of this record, and I think I've been drawn to more than any of them is is. Um, is Southside. I don't know why I love it so much. I love that chorus so 
fucking much. And they have a bridge in it that I love. I remember when it first came out, I didn't dig it as much, but as I listened to it on this go round, I was like, man, I really love this song. This is the one that I'm taking with me. You know, you, you said something about the influential. What artists do you think this record has influenced that are making music now? Or like, where do you see the big influences? I mean, I think, I think I would think about it more as a sort of like time capsule of that moment. Mm-hmm. If you like, if you look at like that time period of like the basement Jacksons, the, 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 the chemical brothers and, um, and fat boy slims and Moby and all those people. I think that timestamp, I think is what modern electronic music still borrows from each day. I think the disclosures of the world, like the, and the whole American EDM scene sort of like still leans on a lot of stuff that I think all those guys like sort of carpeted. Who is so, the guy that, who, wait, not to cut you off, but who is the guy mm-hmm. that passed away? Avicii? Mm-hmm. Avicii's last, was his last record where he was sampling like, you know, cowboy stuff? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just this record made so, f- 20 years later. He found a different compilation record. Yeah. yeah, he found a different thing to borrow the samples yeah. from. Um, uh, Adam, find the big song off that record because I would love to hear a compare and contrast between that and like Natural Blues or even Honey or something. Um, somebody that says they were influenced by it is Adele. She name checks him on on her records as saying that this one Obviously. is one very really. Do you? Do, <laughs> no, where do you, do you, like, no, I don't see it. <laughs> I don't see a sense of connection between them at all. No. I wish I could see it. I wish I wish you took some notes. <laughs> Would have been interesting to see that. I mean, but. well, here you go. No, actually, I just as you were saying that, it just popped in my head. I mean, rolling in the deep. I mean, that that's kind of got a natural blues feel to it. Am I right or am I wrong? I could see that. I'd have to place them next to each other. But I could see that. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Listen, I'm I'm pulling you know straws here, but sure. Um, What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. And then, you know, this is, is it surprising to you that this was like, that Moby is a New Yorker being that you've lived in New York for so long? A little bit. I mean, like having heard the story of like how he, like, like how he came to the record, to, to the El Nomex, the compilation record makes a bit more sense. Cause it was just a friend of his that just like had this thing and said like, you have to hear this compilation. It's amazing. I, I bought it, but like Moby borrowed it and never gave it back. And it's like, you know, that's what he took from it. But I, I don't know if I would call this like full on a, a New York record or like a New York sounding record, but maybe, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of the singles have like a bit more of a, a, a New York feel to them than others, but as a whole record together, I don't, I think I would I, think of I this more think so. as an LA record. Yes. Yeah. This is very LA could be. The fact that they were trying to stick the songs into, into movies makes a lot of sense to me. They, they oh. live perfectly. Even the ambient stuff. I mean, that, this is, there's a lot of music that, I, that I'll listen to. And it's like, I, I think everybody kind of has like the sound, like they have like the movie that they want to make in their head. And like, so they'll hear a song, they're like, this, be, this is how I'm opening my movie. 
And then it's like, there's a lot of like, what you would know, you open a, your movie? Uh, I don't know what I'd open it with. I, I want to open a movie uh, where these two guys are like going on this road and and the guy's like, here, pull over right here. And the guy runs up and he steals somebody's Amazon package. And then as he's like running to his car and the guy who, who I guess whose package he just stole is running out of the house. Uh, and the shot is from inside the car facing out. Uh, Ramblin' Gamblin' Man by Bob Seger comes on. That like, <laughs> yeah. And then I want to end a movie with Stardust by Nat King Cole. Very beautiful scene. Ooh. Like a friend says goodbye to his other friend. Because it's the thing that I actually am writing now, but it's like Star Stardust is in in the last like five, six years has become top three, if not my favorite song of all time. I think it's one of the most beautiful songs ever written. Um, it's so against, uh, you know, if you looked at me, I don't think you would ever say that like, oh, I believe that Stardust is his favorite song ever. It's just. I I've listened to a lot of Nat King Cole recently again. He always, it, I have moments to come back to him. This, it's, it's music that, it's that's music that, especially in our society, like, all right, so, so we, we just yesterday recorded Black Flag uh, Damaged. And that was a hard listen for me to listen to when I wasn't at the gym. Do you know what I mean? Just like, sitting down with damage. You not, can't. You cannot listen not, to that. You know, I can't get on the subway. I can't walk to a comedy club and just suddenly it's just like, you know, we got to rise above. We got to rise above. It's just it's a great origami, right? You just sit at home, just try to make a dragon or a goose. You know, <laughs> that's what, that's what I use yeah, like balloon animals. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this record was a good record for me to listen to when I walked. I, you know, this, this, the scene of New York, like, well, you said this is an LA record. You know, I feel like you can listen to this on a walk. You can listen to this when you're chilling. There is like ambient shit that you can play in the background. You know, this is like dinner party music too. Like you're having friends over, everybody's kind of chilling. You're playing board game night. You could put this on in the background. It's like when, when, I, when I'm walking around in New York, I want to listen to Prodigy. Like that's I, I'm I want anger and I want loudness and I want to shove people out of the way and it's just like and I mean I think I could I could listen to, to damaged and then you know get on the train I think I'd be fine with it. All I want to listen to right now and I we I sent you the clip of it I don't know if I mentioned this at the beginning but Damon Al Albarn has a new record that I think is the best album of 2021. I think it's the best album I've heard post COVID. It's so beautiful. It's so fucking good. Uh, never liked Blur. Gorillas. I, I, I like some stuff by Gorillas, but man, Damon's solo shit, in my opinion, it, it's, I think it's better than anything he's ever done. Uh, Everyday Robots was brilliant. I still listen to it, listen to it since 2014, 15, but, but man, go out, this is to everybody, because I want to, I want to fucking, let me pull up the name of it. Uh, go out and listen to The Nearer the Fountain, More Pure the Stream Flows. You're welcome. It's so good. Um, all right, let's do some random facts. All right, so this is the last time we talk about Moby on the 500. And this album <laughs> didn't make the cut for the Rolling Stone 500 2020 list. I am surprised about that, Adam. I'm not, though. Because, Why? Because I feel like this album 
deserved to be on the 500 at the time it came out because it was kind of, you know, like it was capturing what was becoming popular at the time. But you listen now, te- you know, in 2020, it's like, I see why it was popular at the time. But yeah, I don't think that belongs there now. No. But for that piece, for that era of time, absolutely. I see why it's there. Yes. But dude, we just talked, Nick just said this and it makes sense. The out, al- this is, this, this has influenced every electronic dance song that's come out since true so so it's, a, so it's a legacy album then more than yeah uh, it should be on there fuck that's i listen i i didn't i don't like this record personally i didn't hate it at all so i'm please don't i'm gonna get shit for this i didn't hate this record i just like i said the ambient songs could have been left off this was uh this was usually it's like oh, if you cut these two songs it's a perfect record you have to cut 10 songs from this album to make this a perfect record. 10 fucking I mean, uh, songs. Have you heard of a good 18-track record? I, I just can't find it. I, I, like, there's good records with eight, with 18 tracks, but I've never heard 18 good tracks by a band. Hold up, bro. dude. I'm about to fucking... I think I've got it. I think I've got it, dude. I think uh, I've got um, it. Unless you're giving me, like, Speaker Box of Love Below, but that's just two records, so it doesn't count. Here we go. Hold on, wait. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Oh, it's 17. And I'm talking about Abbey Road. <laughs> Abbey go. Road has 17 songs on it. Fair. Fair. One more. Oh, wait. Oh, no, Her Majesty. That's, yeah, that's, that would, that's still 17. You're right. Yeah, 18 tracks is a lot of tracks. Most bands have 10 good, one in, 10 good ones in them, and even at their highest t- time. I mean, I guess the Blood Sugar Sex Magic has like a crazy amount, but I think it's still reshaped out. Yeah, I think you, you, you got to shave from this. You got to shave. Moby said he preferred the instrumental tracks from this album over the ones with vocal tracks? Clearly. I mean, clearly. <laughs> he had a 10 of them. In. Yeah, he, he had 10 of them. I mean, I mean, also, he previously had made an ambient record. It's just like, why? I don't know. It's like, uh, make- it's like it's like that record drugs by apex twin yeah it has like um it has a ton of really beautiful piano tracks but they're all hustled in between the crazy electronic music and i was always so upset that it just couldn't be a, a, a list i mean i understand why he did it but still it's a two disc record make one of them the piano tracks and the, yeah. the crazy acid stuff so i can listen to it in like and not feel like a psychopath yeah know? yeah no, I- <laughs> never understood that all right, I found that Adele, where Adele cited her influence. She said uh, about when she released 25, there's something that I find really holy about the album play, the way it makes me feel. Even though there's nothing holy or preachy about it, there's just something about it. Maybe it's the gospel samples, but it makes me feel alive. That album still. And I remember my mom having that record. All right. Yeah, I mean, she's 25 in 2015. She was a little girl when that came out. I could see this being like a really fun sure. kids record, you know? Yeah, it sounds magical, for sure. Sounds magical. Adam, what do you got? You're looking at me. Did you find, uh, didn't I ask you to look up something? Avicii? Yeah, pull up the Avicii song.
I just love that this came from a like that this sample was chosen by a Swedish man. Like, yeah, I found yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I found this like Ford dealership in Sweden. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got this great sample. You have to hear it. You know. <laughs> oh, this is so good. I've been listening oh, good, to yeah. the. I've been listening to the Hank Williams. I've been listening to the Veil, the Valen Jennings. It's so good. It's so good. Be careful uh, sitting on that couch. It's made from IKEA. It will fall apart <laughs> if you fart on it. Um, yeah, I mean, look. That song was a huge, huge hit. I mean, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, that's got over a billion streams on Spotify, man. And I mean, that is 100%. If you don't have Moby sampling these old black artists, I don't think he would even think about making a country Western techno song. Moby opened the door for a lot of music to go into dance music. Um, so for that, Mobes, big ups. <laughs> All right, what do you got for me, Adam? At Brian Hernandez writes that this was one of the best albums that he listened to in high school and that it was instrumental for him as growing up and it sparked his uh, interest in electronic dance music. Big ups, Brian Hernandez. Is that his name? Brian? At Brian Big, Hernandez. Big ups, Brian Hernandez. Thank you for being a Patreon subscriber in the Fleece Army. All right, Nick, I love you so much. Love Rapid questions and then you are out of here. You ready for him? Let's do it. Are you ready? Ready. Favorite song on the record? Oh, yeah, you're saying rapid. Uh, honey. 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 Okay. Honey. I'm going to go with Southside. Least favorite song on the record? Any of the ambient shit. <laughs> Any of the ambient? <laughs> Which is the worst one, though? I don't know. They're, they're all just not as good as the, as the main stuff. I'd, I know. Uh, I'll, 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 guitar, flute, and string. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, what song on this record would you fuck to? Um, porcelain? Yeah, dude. Porcelain's good. You can fuck to a lot of the songs on this album. Yeah. Um, and last question. Uh, why should the youth of this generation listen to this record? To take a break off sex. Good answer. Um, Nick, I love you. Anything you want love to promote? You you uh anything you you know everybody i'm telling you go go follow at young and sick on all social media buy his art uh listen to his music um do you have anything you're working on right now you want to talk about no <laughs> no i'm just uh just drawing a bunch of random shit just, uh, just keep looking at the instagram i guess support support any way you can uh nick i love Thank you buddy. you love you what did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Young and Sick, a.k.a. Nick Von Hefwagen. Follow Young and Sick on Instagram at Young and Sick, on Twitter at Young underscore and underscore Sick. And for all things Nick, go to his website, youngandsick.com. For listener shout out this week, I want to give a shout out to Ryan Kitching. Uh, on Instagram, he's Unk on Shus. U-N-K-O-N-S-H-U-S. You are a true fleece army. I love you to death. Thank you for listening. Thank you for liking. Thank you for everything. All right, new music this week. Brooklyn-based DJ, the company sound system, whose deep house sound owes quite a bit of shit to Moby. And you're listening to Pieces of Meat, Waiting for a Butcher, released through Three Bridges Records, and you can find all the links on our website, the500podcast.com. Send us your song, guys. I want to play it. Put it in an email to 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week, it's fucking Black Flag Week. And we're doing Damaged. It's from 1981. Listen to it.
Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little a little taste of it, right down to the shaking microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. Next Chapter Podcasts.